This morning, radio personality Lee Stranahan, former Breitbart reporter, come anti-Zionist, and I take some credit for that, asked me a question in public on his social media. Dear Yaakov Shapiro, do you think it's fair to call the state of Israel a pseudo-theocracy? It seems to use the appearance of being a religious government, but in reality, it only has all the authoritarian bigotry and none of the actual reverence of religion. The answer, which may be surprising to some people, is that no, Israel is not a pseudo-theocracy. And the reason is because you can't have a theocracy without God, and you can't even have a pseudo-theocracy unless you claim to involve God, and Israel does not. Although Israel claims to be the Jewish state, and there you can call Israel a pseudo-Jewish state, you may even be able to call Zionism a pseudo-religion. But a theocracy can't be. Israel not only doesn't officially recognize God, but it refused, actually refused, to mention God in its Declaration of Independence. When Israel was created, the original draft of their Declaration of Independence, the last paragraph of it, said in the draft version, placing our trust in the Almighty, we affix our signatures to this proclamation. That was the draft version. David Ben-Gurion, the first Prime Minister of Israel, refused to put the word Almighty in there because he refused to recognize God. In fact, he didn't believe in God. He mentioned God, but he said, well, he doesn't believe in God of the Bible. He believes in some other type of God. He doesn't believe that the prophets heard God speak. No, actually, he said that he believes the prophets heard God, but God never spoke to them. You know, God is some kind of, well, he was an atheist. God was some kind of um, thing that people imagine to Ben-Gurion. So he refused to have the word almighty, refused to mention God in the Declaration of Independence. Another suggestion was to use the word the Redeemer with a capital R. He refused that as well. Ben-Gurion and his party, the socialist Mapam mostly, insisted that these words, Almighty or Redeemer, be removed. Various religious Jews who happened to have been important to Ben-Gurion, who Ben-Gurion needed, insisted that God be mentioned. After all, in the United States of America, on every dollar bill, we have the words in God we trust. Our Pledge of Allegiance says one state under God. But the state of Israel, the so-called Jewish state, is not refuses to mention God? So Ben-Gurion made a compromise. He said that we're going to put in, we're going to replace the word Hashem, which is God, with Rock of Israel in order to accommodate those who don't believe in God. Ben-Gurion said, quote, Each of us in his own way believes in the Rock of Israel as he conceives it. The phrase can mean, quote, The Jewish people's traditions, fortitude, and unbreakable connection to the land of Israel as opposed to a supernatural being, which Ben-Gurion did not believe in and the state of Israel refused to acknowledge the existence of. Godhead, Ben-Gurion wrote in his diary in 1955, is a cosmic experience, universal, eternal. True enough, he said, 
The Bible abounds with faith in the Creator, and no doubt Moses, Jeremiah, and the rest of the prophets heard God's voice, but the Lord never spoke to them. Everything mentioned about the burning bush in Mount Sinai in the Bible are chapters in the history of Moses, not in the history of God. But what then of the law? That, that's what all of Judaism is based on, of the Torah. What of the commandments? If Ben-Gurion denied that there exists a God who communicates with his prophets, where did Moses get the 613 commandments from? Ben-Gurion explained, quote, The 613 commandments, I am quite certain that neither Moses, Joshua, King David, Micha, or Jeremiah knew a thing about them. He compared Orthodox Judaism to, quote, Nazi ideology. Now, if the Torah doesn't count, if God never gave it to the Jews, who's the authority that decides who is a Jew? Ben-Gurion said it's not the rabbis or the Torah scholars. Rather, quote, the Jewish people in its entirety determine what is Jewish law. In today's context, he added, this means the Knesset. Yes, Ben-Gurion said that it's not God that gives Judaism to the Jews, that determines Jewish law, that determines even who is a Jew. The Knesset, the state of Israel, determines who is a Jew. It's not God that decides what Judaism is, it's Israel that decides what Judaism is. Yes, you heard that right. And Ben-Gurion wasn't the only one. The founding fathers of Israel, the original founding fathers of Zionism, they were atheists. Max Nordau, atheist, on his deathbed, like the last words he said was, there's no afterlife, I'm going nowhere. Theodore Herzl had not one Jewish bone in his body, as far as religion is concerned. He was more Christian than Jewish. Theodore Herzl, you know the old joke, what's the difference between Herzl and Jesus? The answer is, Herzl celebrated Christmas, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Herzl didn't give his son a circumcision. Herzl had a Christmas tree in his house. I mean, he wasn't a religious Christian either, but he actually had a plan to end anti-Semitism. He writes about it in his diary. It was a, a thought of his, an idea. It convert all Jews to Christianity. I, I Serious, I'm not making this up. Convert all Jews to Christianity. Now, at least Christianity believes in a God. Zionism as espoused by the Declaration of Independence, clearly does not. You don't need God for Zionism. And Israel was established explicitly with the refusal to recognize the existence of God. So no, uh, Israel is not a theocracy. Now, as far as the laws are concerned, Israel's laws don't run uh, according to Jewish religious law. In fact, Israel's definition of Jew doesn't even run according to Jewish law. There are people who, according to Judaism, are considered Jews, according to religious law, but the state of Israel would not recognize them as Jews, does not recognize them as Jews. There are people that are not entitled to the law of return. Now, all this may be confusing to many people. After all, isn't Israel the Jewish state? Don't they have Jewish symbols? Aren't there a lot of rabbis uh, in the government, in the Knesset, and they even have their own chief rabbis? So what's going on over here? The answer is this. Zionism was not a movement that was born out of Judaism. It was born out of two things, nationalism and evangelical Christianity. 
Many people think that the evangelical Christians got Zionism from the Jewish Zionists. That first they were Jewish Zionists and the evangelical Christians agreed with them. The truth is, believe it or not, the opposite. Evangelical Christians were Zionists way before there were any Jewish Zionists. Theodore Herzl made the first Zionist Congress in 1897. There were some Zionists before Herzl in the 1800s, and Moses Hess, even Emma Lazarus of Statue of Liberty fame. But Zionism as a movement before the 19th century didn't even exist in the Jewish world. And as a real movement, as a mass movement, until the late 1800s did not exist. But Christian Zionism goes back to as early as the 1500s. In 1585, Francis Kett, Reverend Francis Kett, a Christian from Cambridge, published a book called, quote, The Glorious and Beautiful Garland of Man's Glorification Containing the Godly Ministry of Heavenly Jerusalem. That's the name of the book. In it, he mentions the Jewish national return to Palestine. In the 1500s, there was no Jew in the world thinking of creating a Jewish state. There were no Zionists born. In 1609, an English priest, Thomas Brightman, wrote a pamphlet called Apocalypse Apocalypsios, describing the process of the Jews' so-called return to the Holy Land and their conversion to Christianity. In it, he called for a Jewish state in Palestine in order for the prophecies of Christianity to be fulfilled. He said, only if England does this will they be blessed by the Christian God. There were no Jewish Zionists around in those days. There were no Jews that had a forethought of Zionism in those days. Yet, evangelical, what we call today evangelical Christianity, Christian Zionism, was already established and becoming stronger. In the 1700s, 1800s, Christian Zionism was already a very strong movement. In fact, Theodore Herzl was introduced to powerful heads of state by the Reverend William Heschler. He actually sought out Herzl when he heard that Herzl was creating a Jewish Zionist movement. And he said, we're going to help you out. And he did. Christian Zionism created many of the concepts, the seemingly religious concepts that Israel currently professes. Many people think that it's Judaism, but it's not. In fact, oftentimes Zionists will engage, Jewish Zionists will engage in biblical exegesis and interpretation that is completely un-Jewish and totally evangelical. For example, uh, Benjamin, this, this is all over the place. There are many examples of this, but just to name one, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's famous speech at the Auschwitz concentration camp uh, that he made, he mentioned a prophecy from the book of uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. There, God tells the prophet uh, Ezekiel to go to a certain valley where he then prophesied and witnessed the resurrection of the dead. And the book says that dry bones grew flesh and came back to life. The prophet then prophesizes regarding the exile of the Jews during which the Jewish people are compared to dry bones or according to a different interpretation uh, regarding the resurrection of the dead, which will take place when uh, the Jewish Messiah comes. But Netanyahu made an emotional speech at Auschwitz and uh, he's in which he said, I quote, 
Quote, the only guarantee for defending our people is a strong state of Israel and the army of Israel. He also provided us with an interpretation of the prophecy of Ezekiel that I just mentioned. He announced that the resurrection of the dead that the prophet prophesied was fulfilled with the establishment of a, the state of Israel, at which time he said, quote, the Jewish people rose from ashes and destruction, armed with the Jewish spirit, the justice of man, and the vision of the prophets. By the way, note that he didn't mention God. Netanyahu did not mention God. He's talking about a prophecy. And he said that uh, the Jews are armed with uh, Jewish spirit, justice of man, and vision of prophets. He didn't mention God. But let's continue. Armed with the Jewish spirit, the justice of man, and the vision of the prophets, dry bones became covered with flesh. A spirit filled them, and they lived and stood on their own feet. As Ezekiel prophesied, Then he said unto me, These bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are doomed. Prophesize therefore, and say to them, Thus said the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and lift you out of your graves, my people, and bring you to the land of Israel. So in other words, Netanyahu claimed that the prophecy of Ezekiel is referring to the state of Israel, where dry bones become living flesh, and Israel is the living flesh, and the Jewish people prior to the state of Israel were like dry bones. Now, I challenge anybody, anybody to find me in any Jewish source before Zionism, that interpretation of the prophecy. The prophecy is talking about when the Jewish Messiah comes, the dead is going to be resurrected, but that it refers specifically to the state of Israel, you will not find in any Jewish source. But it is in Christian evangelical sources. This has been a famous Christian evangelical source for over a hundred years when Netanyahu said that. In a sermon, the earliest, uh, the earliest source that I could find for it was an, a sermon in 1864, decades before Herzl published The Jewish State, or before the First Zionist Congress. 1864, by a Reverend Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said it at the Metropolitan Tabernacle for the British Society for the Propagation of the Gospel Amongst the Jews. He interpreted that verse in Ezekiel. He was the first one, as far as I could identify, as referring to the state of Israel. Many other evangelical clergymen have also used that interpretation, including, but not limited to, John Hagee. This is just one example, one example of Zionists clinging to evangelical religion rather than the Jewish religion, clinging to evangelical interpretations of the Bible and rejecting the Jewish ones. If there is any religion in Zionism, it's, and I mean theological religion, if there's any theology in Zionism, it's evangelical Christianity, masquerading as Judaism or Jewishness. Netanyahu does not claim to be a religious Jew. He's completely unobservant. Netanyahu does not observe an iota of Jewish religious law. He's not a religious man at all. But he uses, in order to kiss up to the evangelicals, Christian evangelical interpretations of the Bible, as do many other Zionists. That and 19th century nationalism is what Zionism, is the ideology, uh, the ideological part of Zionism. 
And, and that really is the opposition of Zionism to Judaism. The goal of Zionism, the project that Zionism was, was a project to transform, to eliminate, to eliminate the Jewish identity that the Jews have had for thousands of years as the people that received the Torah on Mount Sinai and the people that fulfill the Jewish religion manifest in the 613 commandments to the Jewish people. That idea of the Jews as a religion, the Zionists insisted, must change. They believed that if the Jews stop being a religion and instead become a nationality, kind of rebranding the Jewish people, but not just rebranding it as a different brand, completely eliminating retroactively the entire collective memory of the Jewish people and reprogramming it in the Zionist image. Uh, by way of analogy, I mean, no, no other nationalism has ever done this. By way of analogy, uh, I'm going to give you an idea of what Zionism is by using a Catholicism in, in place of Judaism. So we know that in the 20th century, let's say around World War II time, the communists and the fascists persecuted Catholics. And let's assume that somebody would say, a bunch of Catholics would get up and say, you know what? This Catholicism, it, it, it's disgusting. The whole religion is disgusting. In fact, it makes Catholics into disgusting people, and it's no wonder that they're persecuted by communists, they're persecuted by fascists. Just, just look at them. They're disgusting people, Catholics. We need to change things. Now, it doesn't help that we don't believe in Catholicism because they look at us as Catholics anyway. They persecute us anyway, even if we're not religious Catholics. The people that hate Catholics, if my name is Kennedy, they'll hate me even if I denounce my religion of Catholicism. So here's what we're going to do. We have to change the definition of what it means to be a Catholic. A Catholic has nothing to do with religion. It's not a religion. Catholics are a nationality. We're an ethnicity. Just like there's the French and the Spanish, there are the Catholics. And we always wanted a state. You don't believe me? Well, haven't Catholics prayed for, I don't know, Jesus' second coming? I don't know if that's true. I'm just using it as an example. Do you understand what second coming means? It means that we'll have our own Catholic state. And we always wanted a state. And we're going to make schools. We're going to make a whole educational system and a whole movement that's going to teach children from when they're little. And it's going to have newspapers and books, this movement. And we're going to teach everybody that Catholics were originally a nationality, an ethnicity. And we always wanted a state. That's always what we were striving for. But as time went by, the Catholics' identity was corrupted and distorted by religious people, by priests, by popes. And they made us think that we are a religion, but that was only a temporary placeholder, that religion, to keep the Catholic people together until we were able to get a state. But we're really a nationality. The goal of Catholicism is not uh, that we should not perish but have everlasting life. The goal of Catholicism is to be a people, in a free people in a free land. A free people in our land. Let's take over Rome. 
Rome is the, it is the land, the homeland of the, the Catholics. We'll get an army, we'll negotiate with the people that own Rome, and we'll make Rome the Catholic state. You don't have to be religious. Catholicism, you could be, any, you could be an atheist if you want, but also be a good Catholic. Catholicism is not a religion, it's a nationality. See, that's what Zionism did. That's what Zionism wanted to do to the Jews. It wanted to say, it insisted, that being Jewish it doesn't mean being a member of a religion. It means being a member of a nationality. And in fact, I mean, you may ask at this point, why did they have to be Jews? If they just wanted a nationality, why couldn't they be a nationality and get rid of their Jewishness? They could have been, they could have made Zionism a nationality. They could have said, we're not Jews, we're Zionists. Well, there were actually Zionists who tried that. They were called the Canaanim. Really, that's what they were called. And they said, we're not Jews. We're, we're descendants of the ancient Hebrews, but we're not Jews. We're Canaanim. It was a movement that didn't last long. It fizzled out because it had no ideology. I mean, nobody ever heard of this nationality, the Canaanim. It's much... It's much better, easier, much more effective if you steal somebody else's identity than to create your own identity. I mean, I, I always say Zionism was simply identity theft against the Jewish people. The subtitle to my book on Zionism is Zionism's journey from identity crisis to identity theft. It started off as an identity crisis. We're Jews, but we're not religious. The anti-Semites persecute us as Jews, even though we don't look at ourselves as Jews. And it ended with identity theft. They say, no, we're the real Jews, and the real Jews are a nationality. And if you want to create a new identity for yourself, let's say, I don't know, you want to make your own uh, amateur witness protection program, your own new identity. You're starting over. You're, you're disappearing. Okay? There are two ways to do it. You can either forge documents like a witness protection program, create for yourself a new start. But unless you're the government, it's not going to be easy. A easier way for you to do that is to go to the local city hall where they keep the records of births and deaths and find somebody who's approximately your age who was born and died, I don't know, very young, a month old, for example, and you say that you're him. You take his identity. Now you have a birth certificate. You go get a driver's license using your birth certificate as a proof of ID. And then you make your life like that. Or, or even better, you kill somebody who has a full-blown identity. He has bank accounts. He has birth certificates. He has driver's license. Somebody who looks like you. And now you're him. That is what Zionism wanted to do to Judaism. Kill Jewish identity and take it over. Zionism was made to look like Jewish identity. It was made to look like the people that believe in the Bible that came out of Egypt and whatever they need to do to put on some makeup or some window dressing to make them look like the Jews throughout history, they'll do it. They'll call themselves Israel. They'll... they'll make believe that they care about the Bible or that something about a Jewish homeland. They'll talk about Jewish themes. They'll take a Jewish calendar. But all of this is not Judaism. It's the Zionists that have intended to kill Jewish identity and take it over 
in their image. The Olds Judaism, my Judaism, the original Judaism, the Judaism that believes that God gave the Bible to the Jews, the Zionists killed. Well, they didn't kill it. It's still alive. It's living in the Orthodox Jews and all the anti-Zionist Jews all over the world. Uh, we are much more of a robust Jewish identity than they ever imagined would survive. Or they wanted, at least, at least they want you to think that they represent real Jewish identity. And they don't. So they are a pseudo-Jewish state. They are pseudo-Jewish. But as far as theology is concerned, theocracy is concerned, Israel is not based on any theocracy at all. It may seem that way because Israel resembles Jewishness because of their window dressing in the same way kind of that uh, a jelly belly resembles, it tastes like a real tangerine, but it's just artificial flavoring and artificial coloring. Anything in Zionism that looks Jewish is just artificial Jewish flavoring and artificial Jewish coloring. A lot of it is pandering again to the evangelicals, and a lot of it is nationalism. But it's a hodgepodge of makeup, window dressing, smoke and mirrors in order to make you, Lee Stranahan, and your listeners and all the people out there in the world think that they actually represent the Jews and that they are a fulfillment of Jewish longings throughout history. But it's completely untrue. Pseudo-Jewish state? Yes. Pseudo-Jewishness? Yes. Pseudo-Jewish identity? Yes. Theocracy? Not at all. Any distinction between Jew and non-Jew, to me, is purely religious. I practice this religion, a non-Jew practices another religion. In Zionism, in Israel, if you see a distinction between Jew and non-Jew, it's nationalist distinction. But it's not the nationalism, uh, let's say like American nationalism or British nationalism, where your nationality or your exclusivity depends upon your affiliation with a country. Because being Israeli, even loyal Israeli, uh, fighting in the Israeli army isn't going to give your family rights to law of return. You have to be actually Jewish. You have to be a certain nationality that you're either born into according to Zionist ideology or, again, this is not real Jewish identity. It's the Zionist idea of Jewish identity, which is pseudo-Jewish. You have to be born into what the Zionists call uh, Jewish identity or convert according to whatever the state of Israel recognizes as a conversion. Uh, again, according to Jewish law, there are people who are Jews that the state of Israel does not recognize as Jews. But Israeli exclusivity, Zionist exclusivity rather, depends on nationalism rather than Judaism. And it has absolutely nothing to do with God. Thanks for listening to Committing High Reason. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. For the latest from Rabbi Shapiro and to sign up for his newsletter, head on over to committinghighreason.com. 
Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.